0: Welcome to Literally Two Cents About Content, a podcast about what it's like to write for as little as two cents per word. I'm Alex.
1: And I'm Elizabeth. We are going to be talking a little bit about the coping strategies that we witnessed our managers presenting, for lack of a better word.
0: employing employing, yeah
1: (laughs) as we worked at the content mill yeah as we talked about before we did both work at a content mill for a couple of years simultaneously and so we did we shared we shared some management at that point and i did at the top here just want to give a a disclaimer or a notice i promise me liz i promise that we will not always be dunking on the particular content mill that we work, We have been doing so for the past several episodes, but there is a lot more to this industry. But however, Alex just got done writing his Magnum opus on twosolid.substack.com. or is it too solid? Am I getting that wrong?
0: It's too solid.
1: Too solid. T O O solid. And so we wanted to do like a kind of a fuzzy one for now. And then we'll dive into the chunky ones. Listen, my metaphors are bad.
0: <laughs> yeah, fuzzy and chunky. Uh, yeah, but
1: yes, so we are going to talk about a little bit about the things that we saw our managers doing to keep their own heads above water while at the same time really not doing a lot to help us.
0: <laughs> yes, yeah.
1: Yeah. So the first one that that I wanted to talk about really was like... The thing that I noticed the most about my manager in particular, we shared this manager when we worked on. Oh, wait, we should back up and give a very vague hierarchy of the org chart.
0: Yeah. So it's basically like it was meant to seem like a newsroom and it was meant to seem that way, both physically and organizationally.
1: And I think we'll probably. Do a deeper dive into this at some other point.
0: Yeah. So the writers all were on a team. And when we both were there, the teams were segmented into different sections. And these sections were what you would find at a newspaper. So there was like a lifestyle section. There was a technology section. There was a finance section. So imagine like a literal newspaper, the different set. We didn't have any sports writers as far as I know. So that was the one that was missing. But the rest of it was modeled to be like, an, like a newsroom. So you had writers who were on teams who nominally had different areas of expertise.
1: We had our beats.
0: Our beats, yeah. And, and literally the title that writers often started with was that they were a news writer. Which was a little bit, is misleading. It is a (laughs) misnomer. We weren't interviewing people to get stories, at least not when we, in the early days. Later on, we did interview some Mm -hmm. clients, but it wasn't at all like what you would expect from traditional journalism where you're out chasing some story for days and you're trying to expose some unknown piece of information. We were recycling things that people already knew. So if there was ever anything new that was came in through content mill no content, it was always something the writer had picked up independently. So it was almost never a result of the workflow. And so the writers were on a team, and they had a—I can't actually remember what the ma- like the direct manager's title was. I was trying to think about I was trying to think of that too, and. Yeah, maybe it was like... Was
1: it section editor? No.
0: Might have been section editor or assistant. For a while when I was there, they had two managers in each section. There was like a section editor, I think that's what it was called, and an assistant editor. And so the section editor was the one who was in charge of determining who wrote for which clients.
1: And when I'm speaking of a manager, this is the person that I'm talking
0: about. Yeah, this is what we mean by manager, because this person would assign who went to what clients, how much work you did. And they would also be checking in to see if, like, you were on pace. Yeah, and
1: they were the person that that I would go to to ask for days off, et cetera, et cetera. And the assistant
0: editor was a little bit uh, of a—it was a filler job in a way because they didn't really have as much—I don't even—they might have phased this out later on, but— I didn't have as much interaction with the assistant editors and there was quite a few of them that went in and out. And some of them actually had writers who became assistant editors and then they went back to being writers because either the job was so boring or that the few meetings that they had with, I'm assuming they met with clients a lot and maybe those were just so traumatizing that they had to go back to writing. (laughs) So I don't know.
1: I remember the assistant editor doing everything that the section editor was doing.
0: Yeah. I just remember
1: them being like a shadow.
0: It was a little bit redundant, and then there was above the section editor, there was
1: the managing editor.
0: There, there was like a managing editor whose I think job that was, was very his
1: title, yeah,
0: yeah. It was very nebulous because the managing editor would oversee like multiple sections, and so I can't even imagine what the, what their job spec was because the chaos of keeping up just with one section was a lot. And then there was also a, I think there was something called a production coordinator.
1: Oh, God. Uh, Which that, that was must have been beyond my time.
0: That was that might not actually be the right title. I'm trying to think of what there is something that is on the tip of my tongue, but that I can't recall. It might actually be a slightly different title than that. But essentially,
1: like someone who would make sure that all the content is getting getting out. door. Yeah, this
0: person would was often trained, you know, incoming writers, and they had a sort of top level view of where the entire production schedule was going, I'm actually just I know the person who was in this role, so I'm looking up. Okay, yeah, it was called production coordinator. <laughs> okay. Nice. So I was I wasn't hallucinating that. So they were, I think they were maybe above the managing editor just because they had a 360 view of where what everybody was producing. Uh, and then hold on let me just say yeah. So they had the production coordinator had the three yeah 360 view of production, meaning are writers writing the pieces that they've been assigned? Are they on this incredibly crazy pace that we've given them? And I remember, I think I met with this person maybe once and they were just trying to see how, how rapidly I was acclimating to, or ramping up to writing 20 units a day, which is like, 4,000 words. Some
1: words, yeah. Yeah.
0: So this was like pretty early on too. It was like you know, supposed to be pro- progressing within the first month. And I worked there. I was supposed to be have gone from writing basically just a few hundred words a day to a writing 4,000 4, words a day. Yeah. And then above that, you had some like vice president level. Like you had a, I want to say there was like a VP of editorial or a, a title of that ilk.
1: Yeah. And then of
0: course, then you had the C-suite. They
1: like beyond the production what did you say manager
0: production coordinator Both
1: beyond the production coordinator it looks like a regular organization or chart right so we have yeah. the c suite we have the vps we have the guy who owns the company i guess he was the president
0: he he wasn't ceo for a while but i, I was just looking up you know, they did one there was somebody who had the title vice president of content So uh, there was that. Yeah. And then there was a, they had some other vice president, you know, every company has vice presidents of any size, but like we, they had some pretty funny ones, like vice president of content, vice president of services. And I'm not exactly sure what's different (laughs) between (laughs) services and content. It's like, you have these two words that can basically mean anything. And I don't know. I always see like Apple is always talking about how it has huge services business. And basically it counts. Everything except it's hardware services. Yeah, whatever so, you're doing yeah. is a service. Okay, great. It's a service. Yeah, so <laughs> there you go. Yeah, see, if, it's not a, if it's not a good, it's a service. Oh. Yeah, classic. Guess, wait. Uh, yeah. <laughs>
1: so the content is the good, maybe? I
0: don't know. I thought about that too, because the content is not really something you can hold in your hand because it's not something that's like a, I think I wrote this in my blog about how you know, the idea of turning a, like a blog post into a pamphlet is like a printed out pamphlet is absurd. Oh, Yeah. So, but so sort of like I was talking about how a lot of content is basically disposable and the fact that it's digital and can be deleted instantly and doesn't have any sort of tangible form contributes to that disposability. And we can see that like a lot of media still has physical characteristics like music and movies and games so they all have physical copies, but. With writing, a lot of writing, it doesn't have any physical copy, and, and it was never expected to. So, of course, you still have books and magazines, but then mm-hmm. things like, like content mill content, it's no one would ever make, to make it. Make that a book. Form, like a bound book of the top <laughs> 10 things every CIO wants from their SOC. Oh, my gosh. We have to
1: make it. We have to make that now. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. It's, I mean, that's it's the just,
1: legacy of this podcast. I'll be okay about it. <laughs>
0: It's absurd because the cost of doing all that would totally outstrip whatever. The only reason a lot of these content mills, their business model would work at all, is because the cost of producing something was so small. That you might as well just try to produce as much of it as possible and see if anything would stick. They're
1: paying their writers literally two cents. <laughs>
0: yeah, two cents for every word. Yeah, but uh, so there's a hierarchy. You've got the VP of content, VP of services. You've got the production coordinator. You've got the managing editor. You've got the section editor you've got the assistant editor and then you've got the writers.
1: So, I am speaking in general of the section editor that I had while I was at the content mill. I think that the stress of managing several people and also managing clients was it's a hallmark of the job.
0: Yeah, you're managing sort of two different groups. You're you have an internal group mm-hmm. of writers who are trying to crack the whip on and then have an external group of
1: but you're also like a customer service representative. We've spoken yeah. like before about how there was a customer what were they called? Client representative, whatever, content management rep or whatever. But the writing teams were the ones who did most of the customer facing work. work. I'll say that. And yeah. And so the managers were juggling like having this group of people that they manage, but also having to put on the customer representative face and make the clients happy and make sure that the production schedule gets out on time. Right. So I think the result of that that I saw, and we could talk about this, but it seemed like there was a disconnect between the manager and the people that they managed it definitely seemed like there was a and i don't know if this was in particular just about like just the people that we worked with but there was a very what is the word intentional there was a really intentional wall built up between the manager and the people that that they worked with it seemed like they they took the job so seriously that there was like this extreme distance between right. between us and them, and I only worked there for a, a year and a half, and so I don't know that I really saw as much as you did in terms of what they're what they were actually doing on the day to day. Yeah, I'm recovering from a cold, <laughs> <laughs> but but I did experience our particular manager. He left the section editor job, and as soon as it was like that, as soon as he left the section editor job. He became my best friend and to the point where I was like, and I, the, when he moved out of town, he was interested in divesting himself from a particular cooking ingredient that was illicit. And then (laughs) he gave it to me. So yeah, it was so. So what I'm trying to say is, as soon as they weren't in that particular position anymore, it was like a light went off, and they were actually able to be a human being again. But it seemed like that particular role that was his coping mechanism for not for for trying to manage both working with the writers that he knows are not being paid enough. And who are not being, I don't know, compensated, not just with money, but with benefits and time Mm -hmm. and and things like that. Mm -hmm. And delivering what was supposed to be a good product to the clients.
0: Yeah, it's the you're right about how they it seemed like the job made them where they couldn't really be your friend, even if you were a good employee who was pretty consistent with your work and who was always on schedule and producing great work. So I think I've always, I think the word I always used, because I went through several different section editors during my time there, but I would say that they were all, one thing they all had in common was they were kind of dour.
1: Yeah. Or they
0: were. I guess you would say they were grim on the job. So they were, they would always... They were always anxious about what was going on with any sort of client. So they were always worried that somebody, you might be falling behind schedule, even if you've never had fallen behind schedule before, or they would always be thinking of things like, do we need more topics for this client? Do we need more calls with this client? So there was always some level of anxiety built in. I guess some of that probably came from above. Or I
1: always got the idea that if one of us took a sick day, there's no telling the client like, "Oh, sorry, your writer was sick," so yeah. the section editors and the assistant editors would just do that work if yeah. one of us called it sick. Which let me tell you, it's a not a great guilt trip to do.
0: It really scarred me because got it in my head that it was now it was somehow standard in all play, workplaces that you had to give this incredible advance notice that you were going to take a day off. So it was something like, I would be thinking, if I want to take a day off in October, I better figure that out sometime in September. Yes. So it, it was like, and this was, I'm not even talking about like an emergency day off. I'm talking about like just some day if something came up or I just wanted to take that day off. Like I had to be thinking way in advance. And so now it's, if I'm, you know, I, since I moved on, it's, oh, I can just tell somebody that uh, I'm not going to be there like two days from now and that's fine. And right. uh, it's, not, it's like the world isn't going to come crashing down. So I think uh, somebody who was there very early on was who didn't last very long. He was like, I always had this feeling that if I don't, if I'm not here, or I don't get something done. That a giant sword is going to come down and cut my off. Oh no. And that it was absurd because the stakes felt so high. But in reality, they really couldn't have been any lower. Yeah, so they were
1: not. It was if, if, words from the internet.
0: It was like, so one thing these managers, one coping strategy they would always have was they were always like, I don't know if this was really a coping strategy so much. It was just like a piece of propaganda. There would you would get on some clients and they would tell you, this client needs a piece every day. And so literally you would have to come in every day, research and write and publish something for that client every single day. And so like some, and some of them would get multiple stories a day. So this was like an SEO thing back in 10 plus years ago where the idea was that you needed to have stuff coming out all the time. A lot. You you, you needed to just have something almost every day because otherwise you would get buried. You wouldn't be able to rise to the top of Google News. You wouldn't rank for these different keywords.
1: This is the same thing TikTok is doing to people nowadays. If you're not (laughs) posting like four videos a day, they
0: don't care. Yeah, volume was always the name of the game early, at least in the early days. So they would always be like, you need to publish you need to publish a story for this client every single day. And the funny thing was, you know, this in the earliest days, the most common workflow for a lot of writers was to write a story, put it into the, the horrible CMS that we had in the content management system. And then if it somehow made it out of that in one piece and it wasn't deleted and lost forever, you there was literally a button that said publish live and you it would actually go directly onto the client's site.
1: Oh man. So that button made me so nervous. <laughs> like I wish I,
0: I hope I was not
1: accidentally press this.
0: There was another button. Some clients were set up where instead of that, it would just be, you would send it for approval. Although I think you could like long press or you could press something else and it would publish it anyway. <laughs> so it was a, but anyway, right,
1: it's a great, song. great
0: feature. Yeah. So, I mean, it's like you could just re- literally write anything and it would be on their website in seconds. Incredible. But what I was going to, well, what was I going to say about that? But it was, yeah. So that was the, let me see. What I,
1: had this, I had that same, I had that same section editor say to me once, nobody's going to die if you don't write this piece. But I think that was near the end of his tenure. <laughs> As yeah uh, it's, it's, it's got me loose
0: <laughs> there was one of the people who actually there was another person in the office who his position was a little bit higher, but he often said that there was no there's no emergencies in content marketing, so like uh, it was like you wouldn't be like it was not like where in if you were a doctor and you messed up and somebody might die. So if you messed up, what's the worst that could happen? In most cases, that client would just get mad at you and that's it. And right. and sometimes that would happen even if you basically did everything by the book and seemed like you were doing everything right, they could still get mad at you. So it was like this worst case scenario is not even really that bad. But then the pressure was, it was the exact opposite of that because it always felt like it was the end of the world if somebody didn't get a piece every day or if get your
1: 20 units done at the end of the day
0: get your 20 units done yeah so it was there was always this feeling of crisis and i think that filtered down obviously it took a toll on the managers because yeah the only times i ever heard somebody do that sort of there's no emergency this is not a big deal was when they were basically on the verge of leaving like the guy who said the no emergencies thing he had said that near the end as well and the very last section or well managing editor I had. He also, I think he was one of the last people hired by the person who originally said that emergency line. So he was always, he repeated it near the end as well, but he never said it at all before then. So...
1: You get to a point where it's something...
0: (laughs) Yeah. So at at some point they had to realize it was all, despite all their pretenses, was not really that important in the grand scheme. And the thing is, for example, that thing with getting a story every single day, a lot of times... The clients who were like that, they wouldn't even, they might have to approve the story. And there was no way they were approving it every day. So they might not even get around to it for a while. And by the time you got feedback on it, it was, you had almost even forgotten that you even wrote it. And then, it was so, such a
1: manufactured, like, em- emergency yeah like feeling right like yeah. from above the whole like these people have paid for this i can't believe work we have to deliver content every day and it has to be immaculate but really the people like you're saying on the other end would just i don't know every other week <laughs> like go through the stack of articles.
0: yeah they might go to the, the big stack of our know, spam folders <laughs> yeah it was some of them to clients they varied a lot so some of them were really on the ball, and some of them were very lackadaisical. Like they would, we wouldn't hear from them for weeks or months. And some of them, they would always have some. They'd always get right on top of it. It was the one thing that they often so say that a client did come back and they had something like, "I hate this is bad content." I'm not going to say that. But I'm just thinking about like, very oh wouldn't over, that be great over the top characterization. This is bad content, which it's funny because I don't really. Now that I think about it, I don't think I ever heard clients really refer to it as content, and it was something that the the, the, that was all that was our lingo. Of course, content is a very common word, but I never had clients who were like, "Where's the content? Where's my content? (laughs) Where's my content?" And uh, but anyway, sometimes you would get these. You would get a client would come back, and they would have just just a lot of rambling feedback, and it would it might be stuff that you would never have been able to prepare for like you would it would have been something like we don't don't use this word ever and it could be something really technical don't ever use the word private cloud to describe what we do or it could be something very silly I had a client once who told me to never write akin to in an article oh my God. and I was like okay sure I'm sure that's really gonna make or break this piece <sighs> and
1: that's a personal pet peeve at that point
0: <laughs> yeah and then some clients were just like I don't know if they were Either they thought they were funny, or I remember somebody who sat next to me wrote a, was writing for a client who did a lot of work with Magento, and he had apparently sent, a, sent them a piece once where he had misspelled it as Magneto. Yeah. And they replied back with a big picture of Magneto and some, some, something dot written over top of it. But anyway, that was... And then we had some clients who, like, it was very odd for some of them. The CEO was involved, which always blew my mind because, like I said, very low stakes. This content strategy was not going to make or break any of what these businesses did. It would not make them successful if they weren't already successful. It wouldn't destroy them if they were successful already. But sometimes you have the CEO like making edits or some vice president or C suite member. And yeah, it, it, like I had a client who got like an ebook on health tracking apps because they made like a health tracking app and their senior leadership is very involved and this ebook took months and months to complete and I don't know I guess it got published but that was the only thing we ever wrote for them and I was just like I basically I'm just regurgitating what you're telling me on this call and piecing together what I can find out there on the internet and really whatever I can find out there that's a very incomplete picture of of what's going on because I saw this I saw this tweet earlier from someone who I can put this in the show notes, but she says, I've been learning about SEO and yeah, the internet is rigged. It shows you what it wants to show you, course of the most talented manipulators. These days doing your research needs needs more than just the internet. Yeah, and that was I can see that because for that ebook I was just writing I was trying to put together some ideas from around the web, but it wasn't very good because what they did was so niche and their angle on it was very different it was like all these other health tracking services don't work but ours does oh my and God. the amount of evidence out there that these type of things don't work is overwhelming so the chances that this one I mean, literally this one weird trick is going to <laughs> going to help you track your health better now, now put a bookmark
1: is, on that <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah everybody loves the one weird trick and we'll do an episode about this at one point but yeah that was such a thing I guess when I got to the content mill, that was still a big trope in online publishing was the and if you were reading any amount of online content at that during the like 2010 to 2015 i want to say you almost certainly saw those things that were like one weird trick to reduce belly fat and or the doctors like,
1: don't want to tell you
0: the doctors don't want to tell you or <laughs> this man lost 50 pounds in three days in parentheses <laughs> doctors hate him <laughs> that we, was are, always, we
1: are going to have to do a whole episode yeah
0: because about yeah. Yeah, but anyway, I mean, this, that was with this I was writing for I had a couple of health clients and it was crazy how how all of them basically their if you really distilled their products down it was one weird trick to do this thing that definitely doesn't work and because one of what? them was something like AI was going to fix all of the how how hospitals don't get timely payments from insurers and it was that it was like their answer was we have this AI tool and you can accelerate how many payments you get. And you can make sure that you cut out all the inefficiency. But then I'm like, if there's anything that basically can't be reformed without just massive government action, it's the healthcare it's sector.
1: healthcare, yeah. yeah.
0: And nobody's able to crack that nut. Like even Amazon and Google and all these companies have tried to get a foothold in healthcare. They just can't do it because it's too entrenched. The incentives are all wrong. Like there, there is no incentive to... The insurers have absolutely no incentive to pay the hospitals more quickly. That's the whole point is not to pay them.
1: But rest assured... <laughs> <laughs> the content writer, the content mill is gonna tell us all about
0: <laughs> Yeah. So and so that's the level of pressure that like the writer and I guess by extension the manager were under was how can we have to somehow come up with one weird trick and the client's gotta like it and it's gotta scan as something that sounds reasonable which isn't really easy, but anyway. So sometimes you get these like this massive project like this ebook where you come back and the client would be like, This is totally different than what I thought it was gonna be. We need to totally redo this and me to interview X and Y person. And so one one way the managers coped with this was they would assign something called an internal unit, which is one of my favorite like phrases from this from the content mill world because first of all, what is a unit? So the unit is a unit is a unit of work, right? A unit of work. Yeah. And it's supposed to be it's like a number so it's it's very arbitrary it's a formula so one unit is equal to x number of words and so you're supposed to create x number of units per day or, or and then you have x number of units assigned per month and but so those were you would get so in the early days they would actually do this on a spreadsheet so you would you come in at the end of the month and that was always like a kind of a dreaded day you would get this in uh, your spreadsheet you open it up and you see oh i have a
1: 435
0: to, units Four hundred and thirty-five oh, for some client, then you have 10 for some other one. So it looks, it, there was actually a big disparity because some clients would have, you would just be writing tons and tons of blogs every day for them. And other clients might be like, oh, I have to write two infographics and an ebook for this client at this month. So the units, so those were called units. And then internal units were a little bit different because they were units, but they weren't tracked in quite the same way like the client hadn't paid for them and but we needed
1: to track the time that the writers were using to do these edits
0: so sometimes you would get this they might modify the log to have something like here's 20 internal units to do all these crazy revisions on this ebook or and as it evolved, at one point I think the CMS, like the, the CMS, the project management tool, we had just like a bucket of internal units that you could use for whatever. <laughs> and yeah, but it was just one of those things where we were getting all of this. In in a way, I was always glad to see internal units on the in the, the log or in the project management system. But I always had the feeling the managers felt like it was they were like somehow doing something illicit by giving us them yeah it was like they were giving us a taste of it's like the drug dealer gives you something for free or something
1: the forbidden fruit right yeah like- and
0: it's all and oh, here's an internal unit you're like hey kid you want an internal unit <laughs> so it was like just coveted thing because you could knock out a bunch of work for the day just it's kind of sorry because you're like oh i'm so worried about hitting my unit count and you know, i have to go through and write all these different things and i have to make sure i get four units of this done and three units of that Or I could just add that I wrote seven internal units today and it could be like you almost did nothing because I was just like, maybe... You're
1: editing. Yeah, yeah, you're
0: editing. And maybe you just thought that it was worth seven units. That was one of the coping strategies they had. An
1: arbitrary way to get the client off our back, but also say to the writer, like, we know you're doing some work on this.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So that was something that always... It happened a lot because revisions were inevitable Mm -hmm. and you really couldn't please every client all the time, but. So that yeah. actually
1: leads into your next point about the, I think a lot of the managers, like I said at the beginning with them being the default customer service representative, they were the ones talking to the clients on a day-to-day basis. And they would straddle this line between telling the writer that the client has a point uh, And also in probably the same sentence, the client is really off base with their point. I had this happen a couple of times. I think I've talked about this client on the show before, but there was, a, there was a company that did data modeling. It was like an Excel sheet competitor. They onboarded the client. They had me write for them. And out of one side of their mouth, they were like, wow, these articles are written really well, but also they suck really bad. And the client is not going to want them. And the client definitely did not want them. <laughs> And so they shipped that client to you, and that was really fun for you, probably. But it was definitely like a, don't worry about this client's feedback, but also, we are not going to give him any more of your writing.
0: (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh Yeah, it was. So, yeah, they did have to straddle a line because... On the one hand, they don't want to really challenge the client like by telling them, well, there'll be something like, oh, I don't like this at all. What don't you like about it? And then, because a lot of times it, it, it could be vague, what they didn't like about it. And sometimes the, so it did vary. Some, one editor I had was like, a client gave a lot of all over the place feedback that was difficult to do anything with. And he actually sent some messages to me, it was like, I don't know how seriously I would take this client's feedback because the person giving it, is, when you go in a call with him, they're not really, they don't really even talk. They're not really engaged at all. So how seriously could they really be reading this? And it was, and, but then at the same time on the meeting, it has to act like it's all very, like all this is very valid and you know, oh yeah, we'll work on this and so on. So you really couldn't. You couldn't, uh, you couldn't, that, that's sort of cliche, like the customer's always right. So they would never tell a client that something couldn't be edited. Like if a client ever had feedback, like something was going to get changed. It didn't, even matter, it didn't matter how frivolous it was. Like the, it could have been something like, you know, like how the, the intro was too wordy or the thing I said about how don't use the word akin to in any articles. And so something was going to get changed. And they just reminded me that, that quote actually that about how the customer's always right is actually only a partial quote. I think the full quote is, is the customer is always right when it comes to taste or something. Mm. And so it's not exactly the same meaning that people often assign to it. But anyway, so the, the editors would, they would, they didn't want to seem like they were being hostile to the, or pushing back on the client in any way. But at the same time, they had to go back to the writer and be like, oh yeah, this is all, this will all blow over or something. And it, I never, at least for me, it might've been different for other writers, but for me, I never got into a situation where an editor was really on my back about how I'd messed up with the client or that it was my fault somehow.
1: No, I I, think we're pretty good about taking the flack from the client.
0: Yeah. So they, they had to take a lot of that flack and the writer themselves didn't, a lot of times didn't have to be directly exposed to it.
1: Which was great. That was great. That was was great.
0: Yeah, it got a little bit worse as as near the end because there was more calls, and sometimes you had to get like people would be giving feedback on the call, and it was a little that can be a little bit awkward, but yeah, yeah. So, my worry was always that there would be someday like a manager who would be like, who would be have a different mentality towards it, and who would be like, maybe the client has a point about this, and maybe they're right. And but in my reality, it seemed like most of the time they were more like they were maybe skeptical of the client's feedback mm. times they were like it is what it is it's just it's part of this is part of the business basically and your client's giving you vague and just look at the comment section of any you know, video or oh my gosh or something on the on youtube or like a you know the comments on an article and if you ever took if you ever took advice from those it would just be it wouldn't be useful at all and
1: maybe there's a an episode in this but i think we could talk at length probably about. The kinds of feedback that we used to get. I, when I distinctly, and I don't know why I remember this so distinctly, but I distinctly remember the interview that I had, the phone screening for this job. They asked me, Are you good at taking criticism? (laughs) And of course, my answer is to laugh and be like, I just did six years worth of creative writing school. So, yeah, Yes. yes. But the kind of, feedback that we would get from these clients. I, and I was really grateful that the managers were there at the time. Like you're saying, some of those later, some of those later clients, for me anyway, we would get on these calls and there was one, not the Excel competitor. There was a different one. I'm just in trouble all over the place. There there was a different client who was just like, not very professional and telling us in the room I like, get we were all in a room and that he was on speakerphone about how my writing was so bad um which <laughs> not to toot my own horn but like my writing is not bad it's yeah like, that, that's objectively always, not bad.
0: that's always something you had to be like careful with was because you would you would feel so beaten down sometimes like you, hey. could, you would feel like well maybe I am really not that good
1: and then the manager was just basically told the client that he was being unprofessional at this point so like I As we are dunking on, (laughs) dunking on (laughs) our section editors for this, like they were on our side for when it counted.
0: Yeah, it was, I had that happen with, I did have a client, this was maybe midway through when I worked there and it was a very, oh God, that their line of business was basically impossible to write about. It it was all like inside baseball and it was just, it. uh, it was just It was something about it had the word pipeline in it somewhere, but it was nothing to do with oil and it was nothing to do with even something you might be familiar with pipeline terminology like DevOps. So I remember writing an ebook for them. And this was actually a very awkward situation overall because the client that they did a contact there who had recommended the content mill to them had previously worked at another company that the content mill had produced content for in the past. And the company they had worked for in the past was very easy to write for very straightforward it was a big organization actually in a lot of cases the bigger the organization was the easier it was to write for because there wasn't quite as much life or death type of stakes around it or at least Mm -hmm. there was never okay just to be clear i don't think it was ever life or death in reality But with smaller companies, it often felt that way because it was like, if we don't do this right, we're just going to go out of business.
1: We are the entire marketing team for this company.
0: (laughs) Yeah. And then like for some big company, it was just like some section that was only producing one little small area of their entire product line. And it was unimportant to their overall success. But anyway, that person had recommended the content mill to their new company. And then lo and behold, I'm the same person written for them in the past. I'm going to write for them now. And first assignment just impossible ebook. And then this one, we did get on a call with him and there was something, they didn't like a lot of this stuff. And it's some, one of their vice presidents was giving all this aggressive feedback on this call. And then at some point in the call, it became clear that he was actually reading the wrong piece. And it was, oh. not, even, it was not even the piece that we were on the call to discuss.
1: Oh, good.
0: He had not even read And before this, he had been like, they'd been making fun of stuff and it was somewhat unprofessional. Why am I reading about this? And then there was some line that they thought was funny because it was so bad or something. And
1: when you're in the room, that makes me want to die. uh, It it
0: did. And so then, (laughs) but anyway, they, some of the, like this, like some vice president of the company at the content mill got involved and his ideas for fixing it were all very ridiculous. It was like changing a few words around and (laughs) restructuring some sentences.
1: Taking up this akin to.
0: (laughs) Yeah, take up the akin to. And I think he didn't like the word torrid either. And which he said didn't mean what I thought it meant. And it did mean what I thought it meant. And anyway, so this is like another sad point, but a lot of times writing was never really ever improved by I don't know, it was like a lot of times it wasn't really improved by feedback and you were just trying, you are playing a game, so you were just trying to make it where you get it past them, even if you sometimes made it worse. The word
1: that comes to mind is mollify. You're just trying you to like coddle them into thinking that you're doing an edit on it. Oh yes, I definitely changed this word to this word and it totally changes the tone, definitely. And yeah.
0: Yeah, it's, uh, so they would often, that, that was a rare case, but it did get into Another point that often came up was the writer swaps and changes. Sometimes you would get, you would just keep beating your head against the wall with the client and it just wouldn't, it wouldn't work. Something was off. Your writing style was not compatible with whatever.
1: Like me at the Excel competitor. We love that. (laughs) Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Or me and this dreadful pipeline company is all I'm going to say. But so the section editors would often do is they would do like a writer swap or writer change. And... This kind of evolved over time. So sometimes early on, at least, they wouldn't tell the client that the writer had changed because they thought that was somehow projecting like weakness. And I don't know, I'm just, I'm speculating there. But, and then sometimes they would, so they would just change it and then it would go on and maybe the client would all of a sudden be more happy. And then later on, sometimes I do this. I do remember one time where I did write something and it was like, Oh, this is so much better than the last piece. I, I liked the new writer better. And it was like the same writer Yeah, and right. uh, they didn't change it. They didn't change it. But then later on, they would make a bigger deal. out of like, oh yeah, we'll do, we're going to do a writer change. And for this pipeline client, they actually did change it to someone who was uh who was just an absolute lifer. They'd been there you know, even longer than I had and uh, just really hardcore, but even they, and then I wasn't really just schadenfreude or whatever, but uh, like they had the exact same issue that I had. <laughs> So it was not, it was not something that was individual to any writer. It was definitely something that was on the client side and it was just like their product didn't make any sense. And it it was, like I said, inside baseball, impossible for an outsider to understand type of work that an agency should never be doing because it was, it was something that somebody in-house would have had, had to have handled. But
1: uh, that's how I feel about. So I, we can beat this horse till it's undead if you'd like, but the, the, that client, the cannot remember the name for the life of me but the Excel competitor. So what they did was they gave it to me and I think I was a senior writer at that point. It was either that or it was right before I became a senior writer. And you were writing. I think you had just come back from New York at this point. Oh yeah. And yeah. the essentially you're like you were like the hero of the Chicago office. It's like, (laughs) oh, Alex, he can write all of the cool things. Right. And everybody knew that. And so they very deliberately handed this client off to you from me in a phone call with them. (laughs) (laughs) They're like, oh, yes, Alex can definitely handle your writing. But it was more of, it was one of those like inside baseball kind of clients. that he was just not happy with any, anything, <laughs> nothing. Yeah. But it was interesting kind of seeing the, I, honestly, it was like like theater, right? Because I'm a good writer and you're a good writer. But because they're like, oh yes, we're giving your account to Alex, the senior writer who has been here for X amount of years that was supposed to <laughs> mollify this guy. Yeah. But of course, he he wasn't happy with anything that, <laughs> that, that yeah. we gave him
0: some clients, they just say, yeah, you couldn't really make them happy. And I was, uh, I guess that did contribute to a lot of managers and writers too, just burning out. Oh yeah, And yeah, it's, you know, one of my managers, like he was actually an assistant editor and this was in the really early days. Yeah. I think he, he got burned out really quickly. And he, at the end, by the time he knew that he, on the way out, he was just like playing Starcraft all day.
1: Incredible.
0: Yeah. It was pretty, it was pretty good. And I I know that (laughs)
1: It Didn't was, he use the foosball table?
0: <laughs> I don't think he used the, I don't think so. There was a, he was, he was dry overall, but uh, yeah, I did have that Starcraft going. And then, but then you did wonder as a writer, sometimes like you're just killing yourself, writing thousands of words a day. And then what's everybody else doing? It can't possibly be any harder than that. You just, just think about it. Maybe, maybe having to deal with clients on phone calls all day is, I guess, maybe it's as difficult or as tight. It's a different skill set. It's a different skill set and uh, yeah so that's but then i do remember the first day or the first couple days i was there they were like we have a they were like oh here's the nintendo 64 and the foosball and everything i can't imagine you'd ever have time for that or something (laughs) 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 like this is really a great way to to start off we love this we love this yeah Yeah. and uh, and then you would just see people It really warped your whole sense of reality in a way because you were just like you were just grinding yourself down, writing, and then you would see people walking of the office, just doing nothing or talking. And you were like, you just wanted to go up to them and shake them. Like, why aren't, why aren't I, you doing write, writing 400 words in 20 minutes? <laughs> I,
1: that's a really relatable thing, honestly, because I, right. at, oh my goodness. After, yeah, after a few months, it was like, I don't have, I don't have time for anything. Yeah. I, don't have to, I don't have time to pick my nose. This is. <laughs> I have to be writing 200 words in the next 10 minutes. <laughs> like, yeah. would, oh, my gosh. I don't think, I do not think that job is a good bastion of mental health.
0: No, I don't think it was good for mental health at all. It had, because the, there was, of course, a lot of anxiety because you always were worried about whether or not you were going to be able to finish whatever you were doing. And then, of course, you could get depressed if someone gave you a lot of negative feedback or if you got some big, huge project dropped on you at the last minute, which that happened a lot too. Like you were sometimes, if you actually, you could actually be punished for being too efficient because right. if you wrote, if you were if you right, if you wrote and kept up at this incredible pace and you're getting all your units knocked out, you were the person who would get like the whatever bundle of units hadn't been completed that month either because there wasn't anybody to assign it to, or somebody had just quit suddenly. And that happened in the early days. So another I don't know how the managers coped with this, but we, I guess they did cope with it by just trying to hire all the time. But we'd have some days where just people just wouldn't show up and we would never see them again. And I'd
1: say I don't blame them.
0: Yeah. This happened at least multiple times within the first year I was there. Like somebody in our team who had been like in our team meeting and who had been just seemingly fine just wouldn't show up one day, never hear from them again. And so that did happen several times. and. Yeah, in a way it's, it's hard to blame them because they probably were sold something that was very different than the experience they got. They were like, I have a job as a news writer. I'm working in a newsroom that has sections like a newspaper does with a desk where everybody sits together in an open office. And the reality of that is I'm looking up tech target articles on what is bare metal computing, and then trying to put that into 200 words. And then, having some client fire back an email saying that I'm wrong about everything because their terrible company who is struggling to do anything doesn't see it the same way that tech target sees it, and yeah, so that then didn't imagine doing that every single day and then thinking you're in you're getting it that all knocked out and then you come in the first day of the month, and here's your spreadsheet with another four hundred units on it or whatever,
1: and it was brutal, like the I want to say it, it. I mean, we've talked about how we they gave this like false sense of urgency, right? To all of these things we were writing. Yeah. Oh my God, if you don't get this out, I was hired in a group of three. So three people started on the same day, and I was one of them. Yeah. And one of them was the first senior writer they had ever hired, like outright hired. All the other senior writers had been. Promoted Probably
0: from within. Yeah, yeah. From content writer.
1: And so this person and the other person that I was hired with, like, very quickly found out that they were not cut out for this job. <laughs> and, like, it was brutal, like, watching because once the three months of ramp up time is over. You have to meet, you have to meet your daily 20 units or you will be removed. And it was just insane, like watching these people like just dis- discover that they cannot do this job. Yeah. Uh, and I'm laughing about it, but like it was actually really awful. Yeah. And yeah. And so that's part of that writer churn that you're talking about. Like people just coming in and out all the time. Like it takes a particular kind of person, a, a neurotic is that the right?
0: Ne- neurotic, maybe. <laughs> yeah, I was thinking of this one because, yeah, I was trying to think about this once in the similar terms. Who would be the ideal person to work there? And in a way, and this is not egotistical, is but it really was me because, first of all, I wasn't completely dependent on the income I got from there. And that was part of it. And then also, I didn't need the health insurance. So that was irrelevant. Right. And so I, actually, my paycheck was bigger. I worked remotely, I didn't work in the office, so that saved a bunch of money as well. Remote person doesn't really, isn't completely reliant on the paycheck, doesn't have, doesn't need the health benefits, and then doesn't, doesn't really care, doesn't really have any aim to have more, I guess you would say, like of a communications role, like trying to step up into being a manager. Like I, I could, mm, I would right. never in a thousand years want like the section editor job. Oh. Like opening my inbox and seeing a bunch of clients and having to hop on a call, as they say. I always hated that phrase. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, let's hop on a quick Pop. call or something. Pop. And then uh, circle back, let's circle back on that. Oh my God, uh, business speak. <laughs> business speak, at touch base is another one. And synergy. Uh, yeah, yeah. For some song, I think it was, uh, who was it, advised it? Depeche Mode, Did It touch. Oh yeah. <laughs> there's a Depeche Mode song called Touch Faith and I always used to listen to, or not Touch Faith, Personal Jesus.
1: Oh, yeah, so it's yeah. It's
0: Personal Jesus and one of the lines is reach out and touch faith. And of course, because I'm insane, I was one time I just you know, sing this man and replace faith with bass. Look at these scale <laughs> perfectly. <laughs> And every time a client would say something about that, or a manager, I was—I'd be hearing that like in a detached mode voice. Oh my god! If and,
1: anyone um, listening to this knows how to make this happen for us, <laughs> I will pay you real money.
0: Reach out and touch base. Personal, <laughs> <laughs> no. incredible. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, uh, yeah. Someone to, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, but anyway, so they would, yeah. So, so in a way, like having somebody like that, but then if anybody who didn't want to be writing forever or who didn't, or who was like really financially dependent on the job or who had to commute to that office, you know, that was, those were all,
1: I lasted drag. as long as I could.
0: Yeah. It was, <laughs> those, uh, those were
1: all things that were true of me. And the, I worked there for a year. I got promoted within like eight months. I was really aggressive about it, but oof, buddy.
0: Yeah. I'm it, it, good. It, not good. Yeah, it was hard to keep up and they did have a core of people who were around there for quite a while, but then once COVID era hit that, it became a little more difficult to keep up with because you know, people were all of a sudden finding that they could get like 20 or 30,000 more for basically doing the same thing somewhere else. So it's one of those things where it's what I was talking about a little while earlier about how before we started this recording about what does it mean to be efficient? A lot of times when people say something is really efficient, what they mean is it's not going to cost us very much to do this. And so I was just thinking in a way that could actually be very inefficient if you don't pay writers enough or if you don't spend enough on quality control and giving people time and space to do things. That's quite inefficient because that leads to more churn, that leads to more burnout. And so, on. so yeah, it's...
1: Yeah, the fact that more writers were coming in, in and out, like we had, it, like you're saying, it is less efficient when you always have to onboard new people and teach them how, what the client wants, how to do the job, et cetera, et cetera. It would have just yeah. been easier for them to.
0: Yeah. It, it, the whole thing was, it, it's not cheap to hire people because you do have, you take a big hit in terms of having to onboard and train them. And then you have basically somebody who's not really a full employee for a little while at least. And so then you're, so it's costly. And I just, I just can't imagine how they've kept up this because their turnover was just like, a, it's maybe, it's not Amazon levels, I would guess, but I was just thinking about that the other day because I think I saw something once that like Amazon warehouse in some metro area was literally running out of people to hire because they had hired basically every single person who would ever take that job in that area and we're not talking about like a small area if this was something like phoenix arizona oh my god and it was something like they had basically burned out every single person that would conceivably want or could do that job and i was just like this really shows you how because everybody's always lionizing amazon as this paragon of efficiency and everything mm-hmm. and i'm like it's not very efficient to like literally burn up every single employee the possible to conceivably yeah. hire. and i was just thinking about this too because it was really difficult to to find a writing job really of any kind back in 10 plus years ago. And somebody who I worked with at the same desk very early on, he and I joked about, I don't know if you've ever heard of Creative Circle. And they were like, I don't know. I I actually don't even know what they do exactly. It sounds familiar. They often post writing jobs and they were always talking about, you you could apply to, they would always have something open and you would apply to it and you would never hear anything ever. And it didn't matter. I mean, you could have just like all kinds of pristine writing samples and everything. You would never hear back from them. And so then like with this content mill, I guess that was part of the lure was always that it was shocking how easy it was to hear back from them. you. You would contact them, then you would get, you would hear back and you would be working there within no time. And so it was, wow, this is so much different than all these other jobs where right. I don't hear anything or it takes weeks and months. I don't hear anything. Oh so. yeah.
1: No, the content mill was, I have a, I had a spreadsheet. I had a spreadsheet about the jobs I was applying for. It was the 115th job that I applied for. And they were like one of three that, that contacted me. And I had a job within two weeks. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah, it's, it, it was, uh, so that was one of the only things I would say that that was to their, that they did well was they definitely got back to people and yeah. they didn't string you around or keep you in a lurch. So they always, they got back to you, but the catch was that they would basically hire anybody because well, I, so I think similar to Amazon, everybody who, but think about working there. It either already figured out that it was that they couldn't make that they either tried it and left, or they had heard from somebody else that it was just like you don't want to do this. Yeah. And I always think about that. It was like the Amazon warehouse of content mills. It was like I was like, it felt like everybody had put in their time or something there and moved on to something else. I had well, one and, next to me who who went on to work at the Onion, like straight out of that job. Like he went from tax. the content mill to working at the Onion, which is like trading in like a an oldsmobile for ferrari yeah. it's like i mean it's yeah, what the heck? yeah
1: and now we are providing that service to people
0: yeah don't yeah. work there don't work there not naming names but uh, yeah if you're doing enough digging you can probably figure it out yeah. and uh, that art that popular article that we've referenced several times so that kind of gives the game away if you just do a little bit of research there and uh because it was such a Perfect description of the entire experience from the hiring phase and the false illusion or well, the false hope of being a journalism job. Yeah. And, and, yeah, So
1: Yeah, we'll have to talk about that more in depth later. But yeah, yeah the definite like pseudo journalistic feel of it. Oh, yeah.
0: That was always, that. that was something that was, and yeah, it was like, you had these, like we said, you had these sections and it, they were modeled as like a newspaper and the, I, I remember like the person who one of the senior managers in the office originally, he was somebody who, he had a journalism degree and then he had an office with like a fancy desk and he would always have like newspapers, all kinds of other stuff there. And I guess he was always under the illusion that things are different than what they really were. But That
1: we were providing a real service to people that people <laughs> wanted, yeah. Yeah, I,
0: don't, I, mean, yeah. I know. But,
1: I think that is a good place to,
0: yeah.
1: to. to end it here on this note of, if you do any research, do not work. Do not work at a content. Yeah. The
0: Kamala Harris thing. Do not go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that speech about the border. Or something. Yeah,
1: yeah. That, that's i Placing that one. Yeah, but I do. I know that we have spent the last hour, as I continue to say, dunking on our erstwhile managers. I, I, I am grateful for their presence in a lot of these, yeah. you know, the client yeah. meetings and just in general. I think that they were they were doing the best with what they had and th- what they had was not good.
0: Yeah. They did do pretty well considering the demand. Except for
1: the guy who played StarCraft. We're just gonna Oh yeah.
0: He, <laughs> yeah. He for that, that worked. <laughs> he was not very he was not really yeah at the top of his game really ever. Yeah. And it was uh, he, yeah, he was the one who had something once or another. I'd written something the same topic as somebody else who's on the same feed. So they, we couldn't have two people writing the same thing on the same day, which was another one that we've all, we've touched on that before, but how absurd that was because a lot of times there just wasn't enough to go around. Like you couldn't find two different, two different stories about industrial ethernet on, on the same day and, <laughs> right. and you're both gonna, yes, enter the same keywords. And then you're gonna find you know, the same thing. So yeah, anyway, but yeah, don't play Starcraft. It's your manager. You try to do better you
1: have to do yeah. better than that you at have least to do better like better than that. world of warcraft,
0: world of warcraft right? <laughs> yeah yeah that's like that reminded me of some fran lebowitz joke about how uh you never let children pour liquor they have very poor control or something you know, like, <laughs> i can't I'm, I'm butchering it but it's something like yo it doesn't go where you think it's gonna go yeah <laughs> but, oh yeah like, yeah but yeah, overall, I think, I guess one of my takeaways is that it could have been a lot worse. Yes. Which is hard, to, in, in a way, hard to believe. It's because it is hard
1: to believe, but it, it definitely could have
0: been. It, it could have been a lot worse because you could have had managers who were just like super aggressive and <laughs> who, I don't know. But it seemed like somehow they they did hire managers who, for the most part, were pretty competent. At the
1: managing part of it.
0: At the managing part, anyway. And, but I think a lot of the problems originated from, well, just the overall business model and yes. how terrible that was. Yeah. But anyway. Wow.
1: Well, so I have been Liz. You can watch my content at lizmakesstuff.com.
0: Yeah. And I'm Alex and you can subscribe to... My substack at two twosolid.substack.com. It's linked in the show notes automatically. The entire podcast archive is there along with the different text posts I've done, which I've done about four or five of now. Yeah. And then, of course, this podcast is available in Apple Podcasts and other podcast clients. You don't have to listen to it on the website, which is probably the worst experience in terms of um, user interface. But either... Apple Podcasts or the uh, Substack app are both really great for that. And uh, yeah, so that's yeah. so check it out. And uh, yeah.
1: All right. Take thanks that. for listening. Yeah. Catch thanks you next time.
0: Catch you next time. <laughs>